The scripture reading for this morning from the Old Testament is Jeremiah 29, verses 4 to 7, and then verses 11 to 14. This is found on um, page 656 in your Pew Bible. Again, Jeremiah 29, verses 4 to 7, and 11 to 14. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. In verses 11 to 14. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is the word of the Lord. Our New Testament scripture comes from the Gospel of Matthew. The last couple of weeks we have been um, hearing the Christmas story from Joseph's perspective. And, um, and it's been beautiful. Last week we saw how um, Magi from the east made their way somewhere between eight and, and fifteen hundred miles. Gentiles coming to the place where the Christ lay, so that they might witness God become flesh among us. We want to pick up that story today, and I have to tell you that um, that it's in a very difficult place uh, because um, when the Magi came, they raised the ire, they raised. The vitriol of the puppet king who was ruling over Judea at that time. And, and he didn't take it lightly. Join me, would you, as we pick up the story from Matthew chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 13. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. If you'd like to follow along in the Red Pew Bible, you can find it on page 808 in that Red Pew Bible. I'm going to pick it up actually a verse earlier. As the Magi offered Jesus their gold, their frankincense, their myrrh, things we explored together on Christmas Eve, you might remember. They were warned in a dream, verse 12, not to return to Herod. And so they departed to their own country by another way. Previous Christmases we've seen that you cannot encounter the Christ and not be changed. 
That's, that's a hard thing for me to say. And, and the flip of that is even harder. That means if we're not being changed, then have we encountered the Christ? They did. They were changed, and they went home by another way. Here's the problem. Now, now, when they had departed, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. I want you to just note that Herod didn't start searching and then they fled in fear. God told them ahead of time exactly what was going to happen. Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And Joseph rose and took the child. In other words, right then, in that evening, when he received the dream, Joseph rose, took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt I called my son. Verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was also spoken in the scriptures by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice is heard in Ramah, a little town just up the road from Bethlehem, weeping, loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph, here we go again, in Egypt this time, saying, Rise and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And Joseph rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. And he would be called a Nazarene, the very word of God. Now, thank you, God, for your word. I pray that the words of my mouth, God, and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, just a reminder, this is a fifth Sunday for us, and on our fifth Sundays, we invite the children to stay with us the entire time. And I did not look and see the passage that we were studying when, I made, when we made that distinction. And so I'm going to speak a little bit in code today. And, um, and, and I trust you to read between the lines, um, because our great desire is not to... Um, frightened children, right? Our great desire is to be changed by the presence of the Christ child. Amen? Wow! How come... I, I got a lot of Christmas cards. Thank you so much. By the way, thank you so much for your generous gift to my wife and I last Sunday. Um, we're just so blessed 
by, by those words of affirmation. I don't know about you, but we put our Christmas cards up on the wall, right? We, we, um, we put them up there and, and we especially enjoy when, when, when people hand sign them and we can see their names written down. Many times people will send a picture with it and it's just, um, it's just so beautiful to put on the wall. But have you noticed that you never got a Christmas card about this passage in Matthew? Have you noticed that before? I mean, uh, we, we get all kinds of Christmas messages in our cards, but never this one. And I'm not foolish. I understand completely why that is, right? Um, we we want to focus on, on the, the joy of God becoming flesh. We want to we focus on, on the joy of myriad angels gathering around and, and speaking of the glory of God. We want to focus on those joyful things. Here's the problem. Um, joy is a spiritual dimension, right? It's not, it's not happiness. Happiness is emotional. It's dependent on your circumstances. It's not pleasure. It's not, it's not a physical component. Joy is a spiritual dimension. And, and, and did you see in our memory verse the path to joy for Jesus? For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. So fascinating to me that that the story of the life of Jesus begins with an incredible tragedy, right? And and the story of the life of Jesus ends with an incredible tragedy, him crucified on the cross, right? There joy doesn't mean that there's no pain, right? As we sang, I asked him to sing that song again, uh, Emmanuel. Uh, several of our teams said, oh, Tom, that's one of our favorite songs that you sing. Why? Be- why? Because, because of the message that it brings, that, that God doesn't promise us that we won't have pain. God doesn't promise us that we won't struggle. He doesn't promise us that, that we won't grieve, right? He just promises to be with us in the midst of that. Emmanuel, God with us. And just as Jesus cried out that night before his crucifixion for, for the Lord, he prayed all night before the Lord. God met him and strengthened him, gave him the courage to respond. I don't know about you, but I struggle sometimes to wrap my brain around um, Jesus. I, I'm not Jesus. I'm not a rocket science. You knew that a long time ago, right? And um, Yeah, yeah. It comes to you in a vision, doesn't it? Um, but, but if Jesus had to go through that, it makes sense, doesn't it? That God's desire is not to protect us from pain. God's desire is to be with us in the midst of it. And so, so as we look at this incredible aspect of the Christmas story, I want to I just celebrate that, that God chose to bring Jesus into a world that had pain. God chose to bring Jesus into a world with tyrants. God chose to bring Jesus into a world that knew terror. God chose to bring Jesus into a world that knew trials and, and, and difficulties, right? God chose to bring Jesus into a world just like ours. Just like ours. And my goal and my prayer today is that, is that I can 
present this in a way that brings you comfort, right? Not pain. That, that brings you hope. Because, because just as God came into that world 2,000 years ago and, and brought joy through the pain, so I'm going to believe that he can do that for us today and bring joy through the pain for us as well. So how do we go after this passage? How do we do this? There's just myriad ways that we could do it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try doing it in a couple of different ways. I want to I focus on a couple of questions, right? Why did this event even take place? Why did it take place? Right? I mean, God's sovereign, right? He is all-powerful. Why did this event even take place? And then, and then secondly, why did Matthew, not Luke, Mark didn't include any of the birth narratives. John didn't include any of the birth narratives. Why did Matthew want you to know this passage today? Is that fair enough? That's our major goal. If you're taking notes, um, you can leave um, about a third of the page for the first one. Why did this event take place? And then leave the rest for this issue of why did Matthew include this story? Well, well God brought Jesus into a world just like us just like ours, with, with struggles, with tyrants, with oppressive governments, with, with um, people that are genuinely suffer, uh, suffering under oppression, right? And the center point of that in Matthew's story is this guy named Herod, right? Now, it's confusing to, to, to study the life of Herod because there are so many Herods, right? There are so many, there's at least five that are mentioned in, in the scripture, right? They, they pass it down for generations, that, that name. But, but who was this guy? Who was this guy, Herod? Now, now um, I want to try and describe his life. Racially, Herod was an Idumean. He was, he was from Eden, Edom, excuse me, and, and probably was a part of the Nabataean kingdom. If you've ever heard of a place called Petra that appears in so many movies, that was a major city in, in the Nabataean kingdom. And, and Herod was from that, that, that place. Racially, he was an Arab. Here's the, the funny thing in our society today. Religiously, he was a Jew. Now, I, I say that... Um, I mean, everybody in America is a Christian, right? Well, no, right? But, but culturally, there's a thing called a cultural Christian, right? Someone who just kind of goes with the flow, may not have a personal relationship with Jesus, but, but just kind of goes with the flow, right? Uh, that was true. That's true today for, for Jewish people as well. And it was certainly true in Herod's day, about 135 um, B.C., before the time of Christ, there was a king who, who forced people to become Jews or to die, right? And many people, he, sure, I'll become a Jew, right? Um, but, but they had no heart for it. They had the knowledge, but they did not have the heart. So even though he was an Arab, he became a Jew, and that served him later in his life. But, but judging by the things that we learn about Herod, um, he was a Jew on the outside. He was a cultural Jew, not a Jew on the inside, right? So racially an Arab and, and religiously a Jew. Culturally, he was very much a Greek. Are you starting to see the complexity of this man? 
Culturally, he was a Greek. Now, when Alexander the Great conquered uh, uh, the whole area around Israel, uh, he brought a whole culture with him that, that brought a language, that brought thought processes, that brought philosophers and, and, and influencers who, who um, influenced the way people thought about the world and about life. And, and very much, Herod was taken up with that. He spoke Greek. He spoke Greek. So, so we're seeing a very complex man who racially was an Arab, religiously was technically a Jew, culturally was a, uh, a Greek who bought into the whole Greek culture. By the way, we're significantly influenced by that in the Western culture as well. So in a sense, we too, uh, probably more so than any other ancient culture, are influenced by the Greek culture. But politically, Herod was a Roman which meant that he had, uh, he had bought into the very government that was oppressing the people of Israel. Now, if you forgive me, I, I get all wound up about things that are insignificant to other people, but, but the crazy thing was um, Herod had, had warred against uh, the Caesar who is now in power over Israel. He had sided with Mark Antony and Cleopatra, right? And, and, and fought against Octavius, who later became Caesar Augustus, right? And, and fought against him and lost, right? And, and Herod, in a, an amazing political move, took off his crown, went to visit Julius Caesar in Rhodes, the island of Rhodes, not too far away, and, and presented his crown and said, I want you to know that I fought against you. I want you to know that, that I, I still... Love Mark, Anthony, and, and Cleopatra, right? I still, I still side with them, but I want you to also know that I'm incredibly loyal to whoever is in power. And, and, and this, this Caesar, Caesar, now Octavius, I gave him back his crown and sent him to rule. Isn't this amazing? If you know anything about us about Herod, he's called Herod the Great, not because of his race or because of his religion or because of his culture or because of his politics. He was called Herod the Great because of his amazing building skills. He built, rebuilt the whole temple of Jerusalem. Some of you have been and seen the the 600 ton foundation stones uh, uh, around the the temple mount now that, that all had a little edge. Do you remember that little edge around it? That little edge meant that that was done by Herod. That was That's a sign that he had built that part. He built Caesarea Maritima, this great this great city up on the coast. He, he, he discovered and put into practice probably for the very first time underwater concrete, right? Uh, just phenomenal mind on this guy. And, and, uh, and it was, was known as Herod the Great because of that amazing building skill. The problem for Herod was, was many-fold. First of all, um, he had at somewhere, somewhere along the line ten wives. Uh, and you say, well, wow, he, uh, how do you go through that many wives that fast? Well, he killed them. That's how he went through them. When he tired of one... He would kill them. Now, don't nod your head. Come on, she's going to be nervous before this thing's over. He gets his in the end. Just remember that, okay? Um, he, even his favorite wife, Miriam, he, 
He put her to death in a moment of madness. So this amazing mind, this um, um, amazing political uh, mind um, in his old age went crazy. Many people speculate why he went crazy, but he certainly became diseased and put to death his wives and his sons, anybody who he thought was a threat to his throne. Starting to see the picture, right? Anybody who he thought was a threat to his throne. At one point, he put the, the heir apparent in prison and then tried to commit suicide and, and failed. But the word of his suicide got out and his son in prison tried to ascend to the throne. And turns out that Herod wasn't dead and Herod killed him as well. So you're starting to see the picture of this man. We saw him a couple weeks ago, right? It seems like a long time ago now, but it was only a couple weeks ago. We saw that when the Magi came, they came to Herod. And, and, and they said to Herod, and you almost feel the innocence of their thing, uh, uh, where is he who is born king of the Jews to the madman who was the king of the Jews? And remember, he is very conniving. And he, and he said, oh, why don't you go why don't you go find him? And when you find him, oh, I really want to worship him too. So send word back, would you? Send word back about where he is so that I too may come and worship him. And then in this thing we'll explore in a moment, God revealed to the Magi that they could not be the same, that they had to go back by another way. And when Herod discovered that, his little conniving mind just did the unthinkable the unthinkable, right? I, uh, I was thinking, that wasn't just a first century thing, was it? We have tyrants and despots, right? In fact, the 20th century, 200 million people put to death by Herods, by the Herods of the day. I just looked up despot, and, and a relatively recent article pointed out 40 of them in power right now, right now. And, and if you don't do what they say, they put you to death. So, so Jesus came into a dark place, right? But he came into a world that's just like our world now. And let's not make any mistake, right? We have enjoyed amazing freedom, right? The last two generations, my generation's boomers, and the generation before me have enjoyed un believable uh, blessing and, and providence, right? But most of the world, even while we were doing that, did not enjoy that. Most of the world today does not enjoy that. That's never take for granted, right? The blessing that has been ours. But let's also understand that God's heart is for the downtrodden, right? The good news is for those who are suffering, the good news is for those who are suffering. There will always be Herods. In fact, there's a little Herod in Dave, right? He comes out every once in a while. I have to put him to death again, right? It's the, it's the sinful nature in me. And, and I know that many people think, well, if you just let people be good enough, it, it'll be okay, right? Good will win out. No, it won't. 
It won't because we are fallen. We are broken. We need redemption. And it's into our brokenness. It's into a dark world that God sent his son, Jesus. So why did, why did this terrible, it was tragic from, from the people's perspective, but it was terror from Herod's perspective. Why did that happen? Because sin happens, right? And the natural, the natural consequence of sin is brokenness and pain. But don't lose hope, right? Don't lose the Christmas message. Christ came into that sin. Christ came to redeem us in the sin. But let's ask that second question. Why, why did Matthew include the story in his gospel when no one else did? Right? I want to suggest to you that, that Matthew is doing several things here entwined in the story. You have to understand that, that uh, Matthew didn't, didn't sit down and start writing the gospel, right? And in three weeks, write this whole thing. Matthew was very intentional. In fact, each of the gospel writers was very intentional in presenting to us an aspect of, of Jesus that is critically important for us. And Matthew's particular focus was that we would understand that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords, right? But here's the deal. Matthew wanted us to understand that Jesus is a threat to kings, right? The king of kings and lord of lords is a threat to those, those kings and queens who would think that they are sovereign over their own lives. And Herod is such a living example of that. Herod, you got what you saw in Herod, right? Uh, and and he, he lived out what was going on inside. The rest of us are better at, at hiding it. But for Herod, what you see is what you get. And, and so Herod expressed the threat that Jesus presented to him. And I want to just suggest to you again that Jesus is going to be a threat to you, too. If your goal is to build your kingdom, right, if your goal is to build a nice little fiefdom where you are in control and all your needs are met, even if that has to happen on the backs of someone else, then Jesus is not good news to you, right? He is not good news. Some people don't like Jesus because he's a threat to the established order. And guess what? They won't like you if you follow him. It's not, it's not that you're a threat on some level. It's, it's that Jesus in you is a great big threat. And so I, I just want to challenge you right up front that the Christmas story was not just a nice little thing to put on Christmas cards. It is a, it is a challenge to each of us to say, who are we living for? For what kingdom are we living, right? And, and I just want to encourage you, there's only one kingdom worthy of living for. There's only one king worthy of your worship, right? It's not you. It's not me. It's, it's Christ. And I just want to challenge you and invite you in this new year to know this king, right? It's a great time. I know it's artificial. It's Hallmark calendar, right? You just, um, it's the beginning of a new year, but it's an artificial time. In fact, every culture has its own new year, right? 
Um, so, so it's an artificial thing, but it's a great opportunity to say, how am I going to get to know this king in the coming year? We're inviting you. Our next series is called Extraordinary Prayer. But don't be intimidated by that. Uh, we're, not, we're not saying that somehow something's going to happen between now and tomorrow, and you're going to suddenly become an extraordinary prayer. Extraordinary just means one step beyond ordinary, right? What's one more step that you can take to deepen your intimacy with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? We'll focus in, in January and February on prayer as one step. Fasting. How, how can you take one more step? But don't, don't uh, miss the importance of the Word of God. It's a great opportunity. I'm, I'm kind of giddy with excitement because last year I did a completely different um, pattern for the year, and I failed miserably at it. I, I tried I tried to do it different. After many years of a similar pattern, I just could not get on rhythm, could not stay on rhythm, and just beat myself up over and over again about that. And and I'm going to return to my pattern that brings me life. I'm going to I'm going to return. It's actually the pattern that's in your bulletin. The, the, um, the pattern of reading through the Bible in a year. It's in the calendar section. You actually read through the Bible in a year and read through the Psalms uh, on a regular basis. I have a slightly modified version that does that. That just brings me life. That, in combination with that tool that we introduced to you last year, the, the a prayer wheel, a way of uh, praying in different ways over the course of the day, um, I'm just so looking forward to that. And so I got myself a clean Bible, and I'm ready to go, which is, I just want to invite you. What's one extraordinary thing that you can do to increase your intimacy with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? We're going to invite you to deepen your prayer experience. But Matthew is inviting you today to deepen your understanding of his word. Excuse me, yeah, of the word of God. Matthew wants us to know that every detail of the life of Christ is a fulfillment of prophetic revelation. It's hard for us to see, right? But in this single passage, there's three little snapshots, right? One of the word coming to Joseph that that he needed to leave that night, and and we're not going to deal with it today, but amazing obedience on his part. He got everybody up. They loaded up and they went to the country that were, they were at war with. Let's, uh, let's uh, rise tonight and go to Iran. Shall we do that? Anybody up for that? Ooh, ooh, send me, right? Do you, ha- do you like me, have one of those countries in your mind, that place? God, please don't send me there, right? I do, I do. It's not probably what you would expect. It's a country that other people love to go to, but I just, God, please don't send me there, right? They got up that night and went there. This first snapshot is of God. And, and they're probably going, well, there's a, there's a very real and present motivation for going. Someone's trying to kill you, right? What they didn't realize was that, was that 700 years before, it had been prophesied that the Son of God would come out of Egypt, Right? And and Jesus was participating in everything that the Jewish people had experienced. We see that over and over again in the life of Jesus. God was intentionally making Jesus experience everything that his people experienced, including going and living in a foreign land in Egypt and, and being released 
So, so there's this prophecy about, about going to Egypt, right? There's this amazing prophecy about, um, about even the terrible event that happened, right? In the same place, 1,400 years maybe before, people differ 1,400, 1,200 years before, um, God had revealed the same. I'm sorry, I, I misspoke. Um, the, um, when he speaks of Rachel, Rachel wasn't actually there 1,400 years before. Um, they're speaking of Rachel as all the mothers and all the fathers, right? The event actually took place 600 years, the 6th century before the time of Christ, when in Ramah and Bethlehem, the Babylonian army came, and I was about to say it, and I'm going to stop, and did terrible things. Did terrible things, the same terrible things that happened in the time of Christ. And Matthew wants us to know that. He says, that wasn't just an event 600 years ago. That's happening now. And that wasn't just an event 2,000 years ago, beloved. It's happening now around us as well. Lastly, lastly, Matthew wants us to understand that that even his return... Herod died. This is going to mess with you because, because you're so used to thinking that Jesus was born in AD 1, right? But he was actually probably born in 5 or 6 B.C. And Herod died in 4 B.C. So very soon after Jesus was born, the guy who sought to kill him, the guy who was the equivalent, probably almost exactly equivalent of the Sandy Hook incident in 2014, Newton, Connecticut, the guy who caused that died. And an angel again appeared to Herod and invited him to come back, come back home. Now, when Herod died, he divided up his kingdom into threes. I mean, it was, that was just the last thing he did. He changed his mind day after day for the months right before his death. He changed his mind. But when he actually died... The plan was that his three sons would divvy up the kingdom. And one of them was particularly, was particularly evil, and he was given responsibility for Bethlehem. And so the angel warned Joseph on his return, and Joseph didn't go to Bethlehem. Joseph went instead to Mary's hometown, right? And, and in Mary's hometown, they settled, and, and Jesus was called a Nazarene. Real quickly, um, Nazareth is it means people of the branch. Natser in Hebrew means branch, and it had long been prophesied that that though in in the um, in the exile the people of Israel were cut off like a tree being cut down, that there, there was still a stump. And if anybody's ever cut down a tree and then not paid attention, right? Did that thing come back? Uh, it, a little shoot comes out of that stump. A tender shoot, right, comes out of that stump. And it was prophesied that a tender shoot would come out of that stump and that that shoot would be called a branch, a Nazar. Jesus was called a Nazarene. Where am I going with all this? Every aspect of Jesus' life was prophesied. If you want to get your mind blown, every Easter we look at that passage, but if you want to get your mind blown, read Isaiah 53, right? Every aspect of his life, every aspect of his death was prophesied in Scripture, in particular in the book of Isaiah. It's just a, it's phenomenal, right? Now, now let, me, let me play with this for a second. Um, 
where, what chance is there that one person's life could have fulfilled all these scriptures, right? It's astronomical. It's astronomical. Um, and so, so someone did a, a, a statistical analysis. What about just eight of the prophecies? What, his name was Josh McDowell. Actually, Josh McDowell cites him. It wasn't Josh. But he said, what's the chances um, that just eight of these prophecies, hundreds of years before the time of Christ, could be fulfilled in Jesus Christ? Excuse me, just a second. It's pretty tacky to have a Coke can in it. Yeah, I'm sorry. Don't do that. Do as I say, not as I do. Okay. I always wanted to say that. Yeah, thank you. Um, what's the chances? Well, it's 1 in 10 to the 17th power. That's, that's um, a 1 with 17 zeros after that. You've got to look that number up, Ian. That's a big number. If you were to count to that number... It would take you 31,000 years, counting one number a second, to count to that number. Another person put it this way. It's like you took a quarter and you painted it red and, and you buried the entire state of Texas two feet deep in quarters. And then you blindfolded someone and said, you got one chance to pick out that red quarter in the whole State of Texas. That's the chance of, of, of eight of the prophecies being fulfilled. How about all of the prophecies, right? How about all of them? One in ten to the 157th power. 157. Do you see? I'm not trying to win you by statistics. God's word is true. And at some point, you've got to say, there's nothing more reliable than God's word, right? I get all kinds of biblical archaeology magazines, and it's phenomenal to see me, to, for me to see them kind of dancing around this issue of could scripture be true? Uh, uh, oh my gosh, nothing in all the world is more attested to than scripture, and you can trust it. Now, now do you understand it all? No, I've been walking with Jesus for 40 years, and I still don't understand. I feel like a, a spiritual pygmy, right? And, 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 um, but I want to, and I've come to that place where I know that it's worthy of my trust. And I, I just want to invite you to... Matthew wants you to know that, that just as all of these prophecies of Scripture have been made true in Christ, so Christ's plan for you will be made true as well. Did you hear it in David's Scripture earlier? Many of you did. Many of you, your hearts were warmed, right? Because that's one of our favorite Scriptures, wasn't it? I had him read for you the... the um, the instructions that God gave them about praying for their city, just to invite and encourage you. But then he went to our favorite passage, beginning in verse 11 of Jeremiah 29, right? I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then, then you will find me. Isn't that an amazing promise? You will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Matthew wants you to know that this king is a threat to other kings. 
But he is so worthy of your seeking. He is so worthy of your understanding and knowing him. He wants us to know every detail of the life of Christ. And every detail of our lives is governed by our sovereign God. That was world-shaking stuff. We'll explore that more another time. Because if you're like me, you don't always understand every detail of your life. And it looks sometimes like God has abandoned you. Know that Jesus experienced that too. My God, my God, he said, why have you forsaken me, right? Jesus understands. Well, Matthew also wants to present to us a picture of the evil that Jesus came to redeem. This is the natural, this terrible tragedy is the natural outcoming of sinful lives and sinful hearts. But but don't despair. That's why Jesus came. Matthew wants you to understand that Jesus came to redeem broken, even wicked people. And for those of you in this room who who just written yourself off and said, God, there's no way that God could redeem me. I, I speak against that. I say that's not true. Jesus, if, if Jesus can redeem even a world like theirs, he can redeem a world like yours. And Matthew is very, very particularly portraying Jesus as a new Moses. There's all kinds of, of tricks that he's using in literary sense so that you will understand that whereas Moses came and said this, I say to you, Jesus said, right? What did this new Moses come to, come to deliver us from? He came to deliver us now not from the bondage of, of an enslaving nation. He came to deliver us from the bondage of our own sin. And I've got to include right here our scripture for next week. But, but um, God says in Second Chronicles 7.14, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray... And seek my face, right? And, and, and turn from their wicked way. My people, wicked ways, right? He came to redeem us. Christians need Jesus too. Amen? Amen. We need Jesus too. I just invite you. I invite you, don't hold anything back. Offer yourself to this this new Moses, who is a, a greater Moses. Why did the king come? Why did he come? Because he wants us to know. He wants us to know that Jesus understands our situation and is coming to redeem it. So hold on. Hold on. Hold on. The king is coming. Pray with me, would you? Oh, Jesus, thank you for so many things. Thank you that you became one of us and lived the life that we live, God. You experienced the pain and the grief and the suffering, even the death, God, that we experienced. But thank you, Jesus, that you redeemed us from those things. So, God, at the beginning of this new year, we just say one last time, King Jesus, come. King of heaven, 
come, come, even now. 